1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm a big football fan, uh, and I'm specifically a big um, fan of quarterbacks. I, I used to do that a little bit, and so it's fascinating for me to watch, uh, and specifically from college football to pro football. And if you're not a sports fan here, I, I'm sorry, but I think you can follow along. It'll make sense. But watching college quarterbacks make the transition in the NFL, specifically college football now, it's become quarterbacks that are what are called dual threat quarterbacks. That means that they run and pass, run those kind of offenses. And then they get in the NFL and there's always this debate because in the NFL, everybody's faster and stronger. And so a quarterback that runs in the NFL is really in a dangerous position to get hurt. So I, I remember in the past several years, Cam Newton, who's the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, he's one of those dual threat quarterbacks. He can run, he can pass. He had a breakout year where his passing yards, his rushing yards, his passing TDs, his rushing TDs were just off the chart. And then the next year, he started getting targeted a little bit when he would run the football. And, and I believe he had a concussion or two. And, and so what the team decided is we got to dial him back to preserve our quarterback. We can't let him run as much, right? So we're going to make him stay in the pocket, throw the football. If he does run, he has to slide, you know, just really dial him back. And the next year, his statistics just plummeted. His passing yards, his rushing yards, everything was way down. End of the year, towards the end, you know, the team had to kind of reevaluate. And they said, listen, we're, we've basically pulled him back to where he's not an effective quarterback anymore. It's not who he is. So they kind of re-released him to do his thing, which means to run and to pass. And, and the next year, his, his statistics were, you know, back up again. It's a, it's a fascinating case study because what it gets at is that he, he, was, he was playing for a year there, not according to how he was wired and gifted. And it's a fascinating case study on, on playing and working according to how you're wired and gifted and maximizing that. You know, there's three great moments in a person's life. You ready? Three great moments. Number one, when you realize who made you, God. Second great moment in a person's life, when you realize why you were made, right? to glorify him. The third great moment, though, in a person's life is when you understand how you were made. In other words, how God has gifted you, how God has wired you right, for his kingdom and for his purposes. So we're gonna explore in this series on, on stewardship. God owns it all, but he gives it to us to steward. One of the things that God owns and gives to us is gifts, spiritual gifts. And the question becomes, how do we steward God's gifts that he gives us? And I believe to steward God's gifts well, it's a, it's a three-part understanding. It's understanding the giver of gifts. It's understanding the power of gifts. And it's understanding the purpose of gifts. So let's start with the giver 
of gifts. Verse 10, as each has received a gift. Now, short phrase, packed with meaning. What this means is that God, if you're in Christ, God has given you a gift that you simply receive it. It doesn't belong to you. Uh, it's not a product of your skill or your ingenuity. It belongs to Jesus Christ, but he gives it to you. And this is explained really well in Ephesians chapter four, seven to eight. And throughout this sermon, you're gonna see me look at a couple different scriptures that are listed on your sermon guide so that you can follow along. Ephesians four, seven to eight. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, now what does this mean? Well, it's a quote from Psalm 68. And it was a prevailing custom or in the day. It was customary in the day for a king who would go conquer another land or, or, or conquer another country, that when he did it and he was victorious, he would take what were called spoils of the victory or, or valuables and bring them back and gift them to his people. We see this in 1 Samuel 30 with King David. It says that David attacked the Amalekites, that he won a victory and he took the spoils and sent them as gifts to the elders of Judah. So what is Paul saying here? When Jesus Christ came and conquered sin and death and the evil one, that he didn't return to heaven empty-handed, that he returned with the full salvation in his hands, salvation of his people, and not just salvation, but actually his people, you and me, who he then gifts to once again send right back into his world. It's why in Ephesians 4, down to verse 11, says this, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So the picture here is this. Jesus comes to this earth, conquers death, conquers sin, conquers the evil one through his death and resurrection, and then he rises and ascends back to heaven with what, what Paul says here, a host of captives, and that's you and me, right? He wins us. He wins our salvation. He wins us to himself. He gives us gifts, and then he turns around and gives us back into his world to bring about redemption, right? To bring about the furthering of his kingdom. But Jesus does this. I love the, uh, the end of the movie Toy Story 3, if you've seen it. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. And at the end of the movie, Andy, who owns all these toys, right? Woody and Buzz Lightyear and all the toys, he's going off to college. And so he decides to give his box of toys away and he shows up at the house of this little girl named Bonnie. And he walks through the gate and he walks up to her and he says, I hear you're really good with toys. I'm going off to college. And so I wanna leave my toys with you so you can play with them and, and, take, and take special care of them. And then what I love about the scene is he, he actually begins to introduce his toys to Bonnie. He starts with cowgirl Jessie. And he says, this is Jessie, the roughest, toughest cowgirl in the whole West. She loves critters, but none more than her best pal, Bullseye. 
Then he moves on to his uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, the meanest, most terrifying dinosaur who ever lived. Then he goes on to the potato heads. He says, the potato heads, Mr. and Mrs., you got to keep them together because they're madly in love. And then Slinky the dog, he says, is as loyal as any dog you could want. And then Andy goes on to ham the pig. He says, he'll keep your money safe, but he's also one of the most dastardly villains of all time, evil Dr. Porkchop. Then he moves on to Buzz Lightyear. He says, the coolest toy ever. Look, he can fly and shoot lasers. He's sworn to protect the galaxy from the evil Emperor Zurg. And then, of course, Andy goes to his best pal. And he hands over Woody and says, he's been my pal as long as I can remember. He's brave like a cowboy should be. And he's kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you, ever. He'll be there for you no matter what. Jesus wins you to himself, gives you gifts, and then presents you and gives you into his world to bring about redemption and renewal. He says, here's Sarah. She's an amazing servant. She loves to help people. If you need behind the scenes help, Sarah's the one you need. He says, here's Tom. Tom's incredibly discerning. If there's a situation that needs discernment to figure out what's going on, Tom is really gifted at discerning things. He says, oh, and then there's, there's Sally. And Sally's this amazing teacher of the word of God. She makes the word of God come alive. She makes it understandable. Sally's a great teacher. Oh, and then there's Chris. Chris is an incredible administrator and organizer. You need structure and order. Chris is your man. He's gifted at that. Oh, and then there's Haley. And Haley is so incredibly merciful. She loves people that are in a place of vulnerability and need. She loves to care for people. That's what Ephesians 4, 7 to 8 means. That Jesus wins you, accomplishes your salvation, wins you to himself, gives you gifts, and then turns you around and says, now go bless my world and bring healing and renewal to my world. Jesus is the giver of gifts. But under the giver of gifts, I want you to see this second truth that's really important. And that is the humility that is birthed out of receiving gifts. Right, Ephesians 4, 7. Look what it says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What that literally means is grace was given within the limits which Christ apportioned, which means you don't get all the gifts. That you get one or, or two or several of many. And then within that, there's a scope and there's limits. It brings a tremendous amount of humility. In fact, Paul taps into this in Romans chapter 12 when he says in verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, 
each according to, here it is again, the measure of faith, right? Or the measure of gift that God has assigned. You don't have all the gifts. You're not Christ. You have a gift that God has given you or several for a specific role in his kingdom. That Jesus has chosen you to have this gift for this place, for this time. What a privilege. What an honor. But do you see the humility it produces? We're gonna get to it, but you don't have to. Be content with how God has made you and how he's wired you and what he's chosen you to do and the role he's chosen you to play in his kingdom work. So how do you steward God's gifts? It starts there, understanding the giver of gifts. But second, understanding the power, the power of gifts. Look at verse 10 again in 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We'll get to that in a second. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Good stewards of God's varied grace. There are two essential truths that come out of this phrase. And the first is this. You'll see the connection that Peter's making there between gifts that he's given you and the manifestation or the revealing of God's grace. In other words, your gifts and how you use them manifests, reveals, makes visible the grace of God. Now that's astounding. Paul says it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And then listen to this. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. What that means is that your gifts and the use of your gifts makes known the Holy Spirit, reveals the Holy Spirit, meaning makes the invisible God visible. When you use your gifts, the invisible God is made visible. That's what Peter says in verse 11 when he goes on to say, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. In other words, when you teach, when you teach, the very words of God are manifest or revealed through you. When you serve, Peter says, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God's strength, when you serve, God's strength is revealed, manifested, made known to the world when you use your gifts. God's powerful work of healing and renewal in his world happens through your gifts and your use of the gifts that he has given you. I've got a friend, he runs a small business and his staff team includes uh, administrative people. And he was doing a study in the scriptures on vocation, just vocation and on work. And he had an aha moment as he was studying the scriptures and realized that, that, that the purpose of work, if you kind of bring it down to a common ground place, the purpose of work is to bring order to God's chaotic world. And this is consistent with the scriptures. Think about Genesis 1, the very beginning before God creates, what's it say about the earth? It was formless and void, meaning there, it, was, there, it, was, it was chaos. And what did God do? 
He created and he brought order. Ocean, land, sky, animals, trees. He, he, he bought, brought order to his world. And then he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and says, I want you to develop my garden, my world. I want you to bring more order to it. But then what happens in Genesis 3? What really happened in Genesis 3? Well, sin entered the world. And when it entered the world, instead of order being brought to the chaos, now chaos was brought, was brought back to the, the order and disorder flowed out. You think about what happened in Genesis 3. Childbearing became chaotic and painful. Marriage became chaotic and tense. Work became chaotic and toilsome. Creation itself became chaotic, thorns and thistles. Right? There was this movement from the beautiful order and of God's world to disorder, and that continues today. If you, left, if you leave your marriage alone, meaning you don't work on your marriage, what happens to it? It descends into chaos. What happens if you just leave your children? I'm not gonna uh, discipline them. I'm not gonna, uh, they can do whatever they want. What if you just leave your children? What happens? <laughs> mm. They descend into chaos. What happens at your work if you just quit managing your team? Your team goes to chaos quickly. What happens if you don't clean your house? It goes to disorder and chaos. And so the purpose of work, and so back to my friend who runs the small business with his administrative people. When he caught hold of this, he was able to give them this great purpose and tell the, the people that worked for him that were doing you know, filing, um, insurance claims, uh, scheduling, all the stuff they were doing, for them to see that they were bringing order to this business. That if they weren't using their administrative gifts, that this business would fall into disorder, that clients would fall into disorder and chaos. And so the great purpose of them seeing, wow, I've been given administrative gifts to bring order into God's chaotic world, to see it play out, that they were a part of God's powerful redemption and renewal. When you use your gifts that God has given you, it brings renewal and restoration to God's world in a powerful way. God is manifested and revealed and his power is revealed through your gifts as they're used. And the second truth that's important here to see in this phrase, good stewards of God's very grace, is that God's grace comes in different forms. It says God's varied grace, or what it means is God's grace in different forms, which means all the variety of gifts bring God's multifaceted grace into his world and into lives. And so you think about all the gifts in the New Testament, just to name a few, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, teaching, shepherding, exhortation, leadership, evangelism, mercy, helps, what we see here is that no one form is better than the other because each form or each grace or gift manifests some part of God's grace that the world desperately needs. So Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. He says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. The point is this, that every person in, in Christ receives a gift, and every gift is indispensable to God's work in this world. Every gift. And in the context in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll get to it, especially those that are behind the scenes that seem to give less honor or get less honor that all the gifts are used to advance the kingdom. Do you know the uh, three smallest bones in the human body? I'm gonna step into doctor mode here for a second. The three smallest bones in the human body are, uh, are the uh, inner ear ossicles, okay? Three small bones. I'll give you the common names because I probably can't pronounce the others. The more common names of these are the, the middle ear, it's an inner ear, middle ear ossicles are the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. Those are great names for a set of three bones. Listen to this. The hammer is arranged so that no one end is attached to the eardrum while the other end forms a lever-like hinge with the anvil. The opposite end of the anvil is fused with the stirrup. So anvil and stirrup act as one bone. Here's the point. Those middle ear ossicles, those tiny little bones, are obscure. They are invisible to the outside world. And yet without them, only, one per, or only 0.1% of the sound energy that enters your ear would make it into your inner ear. That's how powerful they are. And the point is this, in a similar way, there are a variety of gifts. And some of the gifts can, can function kind of like those inner ear or those middle ear bones. They're tiny, they're obscure, they're invisible, and yet they're indispensable. The church of Jesus Christ, God's kingdom could not move forward without them. That they're critical to the work of the kingdom. And so whatever gift God gives you, if it's the upfront honorable gifts, that, that, well, I say honorable, that seem to get a lot of honor, or whether it's the behind the scenes gifts that almost go obscure and invisible and unknown, God says they're indispensable. They're to be honored because they're part of a vital role in advancing his kingdom. Every gift is part of a vital role to advance the kingdom. So how do you steward God's gifts? Three-part understanding, right? First, the, the giver of gifts, Jesus gives you a gift. Every believer that you receive. The power of gifts, that when you use your gifts, it literally is manifesting or revealing the invisible God in a visible way. Think about all those gifts and how they manifest themselves. That is the work of God being displayed and spread through his world. And then third, finally, the purpose of gifts. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. Notice the emphasis here. Don't use it to serve self. That the gifts that you're given, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 12, manifestation of the Spirit for what? Our comfort. Uh, no, no, no. Manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Use your gifts to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12, the whole chapter is about 
spiritual gifts. What's interesting is there was division in the Corinthian church. We know that as we read the entire letter. There was division on multiple levels in the church at Corinth. But one of the reasons for the division that we see in chapter 12 is surrounding gifts. And evidently, there was a lot of envy and pride going on in the church because there was, as Paul describes, the upfront visible gifts that seemed to get all the honor. And then there was the gifts that were behind the scenes. Nobody knew about, nobody could see. And you get the sense in the church that those people that had those kind of behind the scenes gifts were feeling a sense of envy and they wanted the honor that those people were getting with the upfront gifts. And so there was that, that, that envy going on. And then those with the upfront gifts were prideful in receiving the honor and going, yes, look how great I am. And so Paul lays into this discourse about gifts because pride and envy, that's what causes division, doesn't it? Pride and envy is what drives a wedge in a church between people in relationships, in small groups and community groups and Bible studies, right? Pride and envy is what drives the wedge. How does Paul answer it? It's, it's so powerful when you see how Paul answers the problem in the Corinthian church, this pride, this envy around gifts. He says in verse 31, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, listen to what he says. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. See, evidently there were people desiring one another's gifts. I don't like that I'm behind the scenes and nobody's honoring me. I want that upfront gift because that person's getting a ton of honor, right? They were desiring one another's gifts. Paul says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. He says, desire the higher gifts. And what is that? Well, if you know 1 Corinthians 13 is an entire chapter about love. In fact, he goes on at the end of chapter 12. He says, and I will show you a still a more excellent way. And he goes on to say, if you exercise your spiritual gifts, but have not love, you are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul says, the higher gift that everyone should be desiring is love for one another, is to serve one another to not use your gifts as a way to impress people or to use your gifts as a way to, to build your ego or to use your gifts as a way to feed fame and fortune, whatever it may be, whatever self-interest there could be, Paul says, quit desiring one another's gifts and desire the greatest gift, which is love, to love one another, to serve one another. Because when you use your gifts to feed an insecurity or to feed an ego or to feed something that you need yourself, you contribute to the chaos of the world, not to bring order to the chaos. That's what happened in Genesis 3. When you use your gifts to serve self, you contribute to the chaos, not to the order and redemption that God desires to bring into our chaotic world. Let me try to illustrate this by the difference between a cruise ship and a tugboat. Cruise ship, massive, floating island of power that navigates across large oceans, travels wherever it wants to travel, navigates according to economic considerations. It's a floating island of power. What's the purpose of a cruise ship? 
Comfort and leisure. Tugboat's very different. Tugboat is assigned to a specific harbor. And it's called to know that harbor. The currents, the intricacies of the harbor. A tugboat is not that visually impressive. It's pretty functional. Yet tugboats are indispensable. See, tugboats don't navigate for themselves. Tugboats navigate to bring ships and other boats safely to shore. Your gifts are powerful. They're powerful because Jesus gave them to you when he won you to himself through his death and resurrection. He gives you those powerful gifts. But you can use them like a cruise ship or you can use them like a tugboat. Jesus calls you to be a tugboat, to use those gifts to bring others safely to shore, out of the chaos of this world, into a place of rest and peace with Jesus Christ. That's the role of the church. That's the role of the members of a church, is to use your gifts in that way. So the purpose of gifts is to serve one another, but there's even a, there's even a greater purpose. And if you miss this purpose, it's not good. So let me explain. Verse 11. Verse 11. Right? Serve one another with your gifts, but verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If your purpose in using your gifts ends at serving one another, you're going to have deep amounts of trouble when the person you're trying to serve isn't grateful. Or when the person you're trying to serve is unappreciative. Or when the person you're trying to serve doesn't want you to serve them. Or in serving, if your motive is to get appreciation and honor and that doesn't come, if, if your end goal is to serve one another, you're not gonna be able to do it consistently. You see, the greater purpose of our gifts is worship. That's the greater purpose of our gifts and of using our gifts is worship, ultimately to serve Jesus Christ, the one who gave you your gifts in the first place. The one who, as Ephesians 4 says, came, conquered through death and resurrection and ascended and won you to himself and gave you a gift and with great joy said, here is my servant who is administratively gifted. Or here is my servant who is a great teacher. Or here's my servant who is so merciful. And when you use those gifts, to bring glory and honor to the one who gave them to you and to serve Christ. Now you're set up to serve for a lifetime, regardless of how the people you're trying to serve respond to you, because the greater goal is worship. Let me leave you with a few questions. Number one, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? 
Do you know what they are? If you don't, we have on our website a spiritual gift questionnaire. And you'll see at the bottom of your sermon guide, one of those bottom application questions, the link that'll take you on our website to that spiritual gift questionnaire. If you've come through discovery class, you've seen it. Maybe you've done it. You should have done it. If you haven't, great opportunity to do it now, okay? Take that questionnaire. It's not, not fail-proof, but it gets you started in the right direction. And when you start taking what kind of shows up in the top three of those gifts, and then you start serving, you quickly find out where are you wired and gifted. So do you know your spiritual gifts? Second, if you know them, are you using them to serve others? Are you using them to serve this world? Are you using them to serve the church? And then third, if you know your spiritual gifts and you're using them to serve others, are you using them to worship Christ? Are you using them ultimately to worship the one who won you and gave you those gifts and has sent you out? Three great moments in a person's life. The moment you realize who made you, God. The moment you realize why you're made to glorify him. But then third, the moment you realize how he's made you and how he's gifted you. Let's pray. Jesus, we we worship you as our savior, as the one who has rescued us. We worship you as the one who is worthy. We worship you as the one who has made us and wired us with specific gifts so that we can be useful in bringing renewal and redemption to your world. Father, I pray that you would help every person to become more aware of their gifting that you've given them and that they would experience the joy and the pleasure of using your gift for the common good of our world and the church and of families. Jesus, you are king of the church. You are the the one foundation of the church. You're the head. We are the body. And you've gifted us and you've given us a specific role in the body so that the body as a whole can function at a high level to bring your kingdom to bear. So would you help us now as we continue to worship you, Jesus, as the, the one true foundation of the church and the one who is the giver of gifts, the one who is all powerful, who works through our gifts to bring redemption. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.